This message may just serve to be one of the most revolutionary things uh, you have ever encountered in the Christian faith. Some of it will be a redundancy, but just give me a chance. Then again, it may be so old hat to you that you'll see that I'm just easily overcome by uh, information. Uh, Let me explain. For nearly 2,000 years, and even more so in the past 500 years, after uh, I once wrote uh, Guggenheim, since Gutenberg gave us the printing press, Christians, uh, people behind the pulpit, people reading their own Bible, uh, whoever it is, have taken the text of the apostolic record, what they call the New Testament, and thought of it as having direct and literal application, that the word is speaking to them actually literally about the faith today. It's a normal assumption. And uh, you open up the Bible, which we say is the word of God, and, and I agree with that, it is. And we read passages like Romans 10, 9, it says, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus Christ and believe in thine heart that God raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. You read that today and you say, It's to me, it's to us, it's a message that's ongoing, and we think this is true. And uh, that's what I got to do to be saved, is what we say, and it makes sense. And we might read Jesus say in John 15, 6, If any man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch and is withered, and men gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. And so we read it and we assign it to ourselves and believe again it has direct application to us today, 2022, and all the people around us going backward all the way to Jesus' day, but we ignore the application of it being to them. So I'm trying to start to build that. Paradoxically, we might find ourselves reading something from Paul like, uh, for if women are not covered, let her be shorn. That's What he says is, if she's not covering her head with a cloth, let her head be shaved. That's what Paul says. Uh, but if Because it, it's a shame for a woman to be shorn or shaved, let her be covered. Those are the, the two ways he sees women in the faith in that day. But we today, we, just, you know, we dismiss this as not being important uh, to our walk. So the first thing I want to point out, I, I'm really reiterating to this audience, is uh, we greatly overlook uh, for the past couple thousand years that the apostolic record from the Gospels through Revelation was not, not, not literally applied to us. Okay? It was written literally and to be applied physically, materially to the believers then and had application to them. That's the first point. You know this about me. But there are scriptural principles within the text, Old Testament and New, and they help us understand things that God wants for us. Let me give you an example. Matthew 6, 15. Jesus says, If you forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Now, was it to them, that audience then, hearing Jesus? Yes. Was it to the early church that the apostles were over-governing? Yes. Is it to us? I think it is. It's my opinion. I think that it's a principle that should apply to us, but it's, it's a principle that we can apply to us outside of the material demands of the rest of the book. So, 
Back to the point. The writings found in the apostolic record were penned to that audience then, for their benefit then, and we were not in mind when the authors wrote. Because if we were, I would suggest the authors would have said, this is to believers forevermore. I think they would have been led by the Holy Spirit to say that somehow in there. But none of them do. They never address it to an audience in the future. Of course, pastors and teachers avoid these things and read the letters like they were a law today from God to all people to religiously follow forevermore. But that's not the case because in the addition to the writers not saying it was to them, God said he would write his laws on our hearts and minds in our day. And that trumps everything else. If he says, I'll write my laws in the hearts and minds of people, that gets rid of the need for us to read literally the material writings of another age and say they apply to us too, right? That is how we have people who have been in Africa or Australia out back in the 1720s who died not hearing about Jesus, but God wrote on their hearts and minds and they were saved because he, it doesn't have to come from the book. The book's a gift. We use it. It helps us. And from it, we see the history, but it's not what God writes on. God writes on the hearts and minds. And that brings us to our reading of the content of the apostolic letters. And I want to pay particular attention to the phrase, word, phrases, lines that the apostles use that include save, saved, be saved, salvation, okay? The first category of saved passages in the scriptures speak to people of that day being saved from physical ailments, psychological ailments, disease, demonic possession, troubles in life, pain, enemies, child being saved in childbearing, being saved from dying. Okay, so in Matthew 27, 42, Jesus is hanging on the cross and the Jews say he saved others himself he cannot save. If he was the king of Israel, let him now come down from the cross and we will believe him. They were talking about him. He can't save anybody else. from. He saved <coughs> Lazarus from death, but he can't save himself. They're talking about death there. In Luke 18, 42, it says, Jesus said to him, receive your sight. Thy faith has saved you. Okay, so he wasn't talking about your faith has saved you to the kingdom of God. He's talking about, hey, receive your sight. It's your faith that I could do this has saved you from blindness. That's the meaning of it there. And when Paul was on a ship, we read in Acts 27, 20, and when neither sun nor stars in many days appeared and so no small tempest laid upon us, they're in the middle of a storm, all hope that we should be saved was taken away. So then we know that He's talking about the hope of being saved from drowning in the sea of that storm. Went away. Several verses later, Paul says uh, to the centurion, to the soldiers, unless these abide in the ship, you cannot be saved. Again, talking about from physical death. Nothing to do with salvation to the kingdom of God there. So we can see that that word has specific meaning in certain places that have nothing to do with saved to heaven. First Timothy talks about women giving birth 
And Paul says, notwithstanding, she shall be saved in childbearing if they continue in the faith and charity and holiness with sobriety. So Paul gives the believing women in that day a promise. You will be saved. You won't die in childbearing if you continue in the faith and in love and in holiness. That's what he says. Uh, you know, that was his promise to them. Speaking in, of the days of Noah, Peter said, which sometimes were disobedient when the long suffering of God waited in the days of Noah while the ark was appearing, wherein that is few souls ate were saved by water. So, and then in the second Peter, uh, second epistle of Peter, we read, and he spared not the old world, but saved Noah, the eighth person, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood upon the world of the ungodly. And then finally in Jude 1.5, we read, I will uh, therefore put you in remembrance, though you once knew this, how that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed them that didn't believe. So we're talking there about physical salvation from death in all those things, okay? Then we come to the only passage in Scripture, not written to us, that speaks of being saved from Sheol. That was prison. That was hell. That was the bad place that people went before Jesus overcame sin, death, and the grave, and Satan. Okay? That's where they went. And it's in Mark 16, 16. It says, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. Okay? And this appears to have application to going to hell in that day and in that age. Then we have two passages that speak directly to being saved from sin, applicable to the world, okay? And that is in John 3, 17, we read, for God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Okay, now that we're talking about the cosmos being saved. And then Ephesians uh, 2, 5, Paul says, even when we were dead in sins, has he quickened us together in Christ? And he puts, by grace, you are saved. Okay? So we know that this salvation is not from the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And we know it's not from death and from pain and from childbirth and, 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 and any of that. Because it's talking about the cosmos being saved. The cosmos. And that means saved from sin. Saved from sin. God sent not his son to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. From what? From sin. Then we have three passages that appear to speak to being saved to the kingdom of God. Okay? Saved from death, saved from suffering, saved from childbirth, all these things. Then saved from the great and dreadful day. Those are in that. And then saved from Sheol or hell where people went before Christ did what he did. And now we have three passages that speak to being saved to something. Not from something, but to something. And that's Romans 5.10. For if, Paul writes, when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. So 
that passage talks about us being reconciled through the death of Christ and then some of us because of faith on him being saved by the life he lived. One from afterlife punishment, one to the kingdom of God. And then Revelation 21, 24 says, and the nations of them which were saved shall walk in the light of it and the kings of the earth to bring the glory and honor to it. That's talking about those who go into the kingdom are saved to the kingdom and they walk in the light of this new Jerusalem. And then Titus 3, 5 says, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit. So then we have passages that appear to speak directly to being saved from the great and dreadful day that was coming to them. And, you know, passages like Mark 13, 20, where it says, and unless the Lord had shortened those days, no flesh would be saved. But for the elect's sake of whom he had chosen, he shortened those days, right? And you can read Matthew 24, 22. You can read Romans 5, 9, all about escaping from being destroyed, dying in the great and dreadful day. Finally, there are the most passages, the most that are actually ambiguous and could mean being saved from the great and dreadful day, doesn't have application to us anymore, or from Sheol, which doesn't have application to us anymore either, according to Revelation, or to heaven, which seems to have application to people still, and or from hell, from sin, and they can, or from hell, from sin, from Satan, to heaven. So all of these could be taken in any of these ways. And so we can't really say. We don't know what the context means there. So these passages include Matthew 10, 22, and you shall be hated of all men's, uh, but of all men, for my name's sake, Jesus says to his apostles, written to them then, that he that endures to the end shall be saved. Christians read that today and they think, yes, that's the meaning saved from hell, from the great destruction coming to the kingdom. But Jesus said it to his apostles only there. And he says, if you endure to the end, you'll be saved. Saved from hell, saved to the kingdom, saved from the great and dreadful day. We can't say. We don't know. We just assume it means saved from hell and to heaven. But that's not really wise thinking because we can't prove it, okay? And then you go to Matthew 9, 19, 25. And when his disciples heard it, they were exceedingly amazed saying, who then can be saved? We don't know what they were asking him. Who then can be saved from what to what? We aren't sure, right? Luke 7, 50, and he said to the woman, Jesus said to the woman, thy faith has saved you, go in peace. Saved her how? Saved her from, from what she was, the ailment she had? Saved her from Satan's grasp? Saved her from sin? Saved her to the kingdom? Saved her from the great and dreadful day? Any, all could have application there. But we're reading into the text when we assume it is talking about saved from hell to heaven only. Uh, Luke 8, 12, those who are by the wayside are them that hear, this is Jesus' parable of the sower, 
Then comes the devil and takes away the word out of the hearts, lest they should believe and be saved. Again, from what? To what? And then Luke 13, 23, we read, Then he said to them, Lord, there are few that be saved. Who then can be saved? And uh, I receive not the testimony from man, but I say these things that you might be saved. John 5, 34. John 10, 9. I am the door. By me, if any man enters in, he shall, have been, he shall be saved and shall go in and out and find pasture. We can say it's talking about heaven, but we could also say it's talking about going in and out of the evangelical church of the day and that you'll find pasture there, peace. You could be, find pasture, a safe place with the shepherd from the great and dreadful day. I'm trying to show you that when you read it, it's us who are imputing the meaning of the word into the reading. And you have to be very, very careful when you do that. And it's natural for us to, to do it. Perhaps Jesus here means saved in any and every way we can't say. Acts 2.21, I'm building the case, we're getting there. Peter says, and it shall come to pass that whoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. What's the audience? What's the context of him saying that? It was a gathering of Jews. That's who it was. Most of us think that he's speaking to be saved from hell and saved to heaven but the context suggests that Peter was telling those Jews, believe on him and uh, call on the name of the Lord and you'll be saved from the coming destruction. That's the better assessment of the assignment of that passage. So when missionaries today go around and they cite that, they're taking it completely out of context and they're citing it in a completely non-contextual way. Uh, Acts 2.47, praising God and finding favor with all people, the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. Again, we don't know. And then we read, neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name in heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Okay, so again, you can say, well, saved from death, saved from the great and dreadful day, saved from pain, saved to pasture here in the church, of believers protected by God's hand from the Jews who are coming in to destroy us, saved from hell, saved from Satan, saved to the uh, new Jerusalem above when it's established. Can't tell. And there are Acts 11, 14, Acts 15, 1, Acts 15, 11, Acts 16, 30, Acts 16, 31, Romans 8, 24, Romans 9, 27, Romans 10, 1, Romans 10, 9, Romans 10, 13, Romans 11, 26, 1 Corinthians 1, 18, 1 Corinthians 3, 15, 1 Corinthians 5, 5, 1 Corinthians 10, 33, 15, uh, 2, 2 Corinthians 2, 15, Ephesians 2, 8, I mean, I'm going on and on and on. I can give you it all. And the point I'm trying to make in all of this is first, saved in the scripture does not always mean only saved from hell and to heaven. Um, there are a whole bunch of passages that prove saved has other ap possible applications. And while salvation from sin, death, and hell is gifted to all because of the victory of Christ, let me repeat that. Because being saved from sin, he paid for it all. Death and hell, the last enemy is death, according to Paul. And hell, hell has been cast in the lake of fire along with Satan and his angels after Jesus has had the victory. 
And so we know that saved from those things is universal. That's a universal application that isn't really taught in the scripture because it was written to a people at a different time. But we also know from scripture that saved to the kingdom as children, as sons and daughters of God is not universal. And that is based entirely on faith. And so the whole point of this is to say, be careful when you pull from passages that just talk about being saved, make sure you look at the context, make sure you understand to whom it was written and why, and then make sure that a spiritual application is possible with reason and logic of the rest of scripture to suggest that it's teaching you a principle on how to live with God after this life. All of that is so important because um, the scripture talked to them then about how to be saved from all sorts of things that they otherwise had no chance from. Blindness, disease, leprosy, a Satan who was roaring around, uh, the, the Judaizers saved, and, and the Christians were saved by the Spirit. Uh, and, and, and then saved from the great and dreadful day and saved from hell. So just don't go through and do what our evangelical brothers and sisters do. They get out there and they just read the book and they see the word saved and they just apply it to us now, meaning saved in every way possible. It's not really good uh, biblical reading or biblical understanding. Have a great week. Love you.